When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. It's Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means, and we've been building up to this. It's one of two pods that we're going to do, really trying to dig in on the both sides of the ball for the Peach Bowl. The first one today is going to be the Ohio State offense versus the Georgia defense. That's kind of the moneymaker. That's the one everybody has been anticipating and talking about. Early next week, we will come back with Georgia offense versus Ohio State defense, which actually I think is pretty darn interesting in a lot of ways too, because I think there's some things there um, that maybe Ohio state, when you think of Georgia, you think of defense. So we have been watching games. We've been looking at numbers. It's not that we didn't know about Georgia already, but when you start looking at a team in a different way, as a team that the team you cover is getting ready to play against, you just dig in on them a little bit more. I certainly feel like, after spending a, a long full day doing it, I have a, a better sense, I think, of Georgia and where I think Ohio State has an opportunity to attack and where I think Ohio State might have some issues with some of the things that Georgia does. And we're going to start with the issues first, Nathan. We're going to start with the, the the individual players and and what Georgia does defensively that really kind of jumps off the film. And we'll we'll do it through players because that's interesting. So, Nathan, we'll start. Who Who is a Georgia guy? that you felt sort of just is, is okay. Okay. This is going to be somebody that Ohio state is going to have to have a plan for and is going to have to deal with, or he has a real opportunity to disrupt the game on December 31st. I mean, I guess we should just have the Jalen Carter conversation right off the top. It's having just written a piece about Mike Hall this week. It was interesting to watch this and sort of the best analogy I guess I can make is that when you're watching Jalen Carter defensive tackle for Georgia you it feels like the best version of Mike Hall and then like another level beyond that that it's uh he's he's physically impressive to look at but the number of times that he is doing disruptive things it's 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 pretty relentless even against some of the best teams which is the games that we probably all tried to watch over the course of of this schedule and the way that he is sort of the the foundational player for this defense and a lot of things tend to like fold out from what he's doing is is notable so that's the first i he jumps off the he jumps off in every game you watch and to some extent or he did for me like i've watched a handful of games now and finding a way to make sure that uh he isn't uh ruining games is is i think one of the and, and obviously every Ohio State player that we talk to on offense, uh, especially the offensive linemen, uh, Luke Whipler, Paris Johnson, Donovan Jackson, they were all getting questions first and foremost about going up against this guy. 
uh, on December 31st. So he's the guy. And he, it's one of these things you talk about the Georgia defensive tackles. And a year ago, we were talking about, everybody was talking about Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt. And Jalen Carter was the third guy. And then Jordan Davis goes to the NFL. Devontae Wyatt goes to the NFL, both first round picks. And now Jalen Carter rises up. And even a year ago, when people talked about Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis was sort of like, George's Heisman candidate last year. And even within that, people would say, I don't know, Jalen Carter might be better. Jordan Davis is just so mammoth. But Jalen Carter is a tremendous athlete at his size. There's been not a debate, but there's always a discussion with these Georgia defensive tackles. And it's the way that Kirby Smart talks about it. And it's similar to the way Larry Johnson and Ohio State talk about their defensive line. And it's what Kirby Smart says about their defensive line in general. They want to play 9, 10, 11, 12 guys. And he's saying our third string guys aren't as good as our first string guys, but and he's I guess it's mostly first string, second string. I was reading some stuff. He said, you know, we want about two thirds of our top guys and then one third of the snaps for the guys behind them, and that keeps everybody fresh, especially when you're getting after the passer. Jalen Carter, Steven, has dealt with injuries this year. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes you're like, ah oh, man, that guy doesn't play that much. Since he's been back, he actually kind of does play a lot. Now, he has five Six, six games this year where he played at least 30 snaps because he had an injury issue and he was getting down. He had some games in the teens and that kind of thing, but he played 30 snaps against Georgia in the opener. And then since he's been back, he played 48 snaps against Tennessee, 40 against Mississippi State, 46 against Kentucky, 45 against Georgia Tech, and 45 against LSU. So I don't want people to think like this guy is situational or something. I mean, he's not situational. He is primary. They're not going to have him out there 70 snaps, Stephen, but he's out there when it matters almost all the time, and he doesn't take drives off. He's often out. He's often like he's not out there on first down. I don't even know if he's going to start. He might not start. A lot of times he's not out there on first down. Maybe he's not out there on second down. Then you get to your first third down, and he's out there. Then he's out there for a little bit. But like it feels like that's how they use him. When you look at he is, he pass rushes, right? The uh, by PFF grades, um, he had um, th- like he'll have he had thirty four of his forty five snaps in the SEC championship game were pass rush snaps against against Oregon. Twenty of his thirty snaps were pass rush snaps. You know he's he's going to be in there when it matters to get after the passer and blow up pockets. And so maybe you won't see him out there. They have a they have a load, Stephen. They can line up guys and just build walls on that defensive line, and that's not what they need him to do. They need him to do, as Nathan said, the Mike Hall stuff, which is win with your hands, throw interior offensive linemen to the side, and blow up pockets. But he's going to be out there when it matters. I would expect 45 snaps from him, and two-thirds of those will be in passing situations, Stephen. And then Stephen, like, you see what he does. You you see what he does. <laughs> and and I like that Nathan was like he's Mike Hall, but like ten times better. He's Mike Hall on steroids. But Not also the times, thing that makes it so like, impressive is nah, I think it might be ten times right now. I think that's a fair analogy because Ohio State is habitually four down front unless they're in that Jack thing. Georgia throws a million different fronts at you. So sometimes Jalen Carter is the only interior defensive lineman out there. And so he's just blowing up a pocket all by himself. I was watching the Tennessee game. It's just like they have nothing. They have nothing to do with this kid. So yeah, he was dealing with injuries, but also in the middle of the season, Georgia was playing scraps. So you probably didn't need him to play 45 snaps. The moment they started playing good teams again, 
and playing games where it might be competitive, that's when you start to go up 48, 40, 46. So I agree he might be around 45 snaps. And he is, I mean, he's the best player. He's the best. He's probably the best offensive player in college football right now, even if, um, well, Anderson won all those awards. Jalen Carter is doing this from the interior, and that's just a whole different problem for a quarterback to have to deal with when he can't feel like he can step up into a pocket and release throws. So I will say at the end of this, we're going to sort of talk about in the in the last segment how Ohio State should try to go about attacking Georgia. And uh, I sort of have a theory of the case on how this Ohio State offense, Georgia defense matchup goes. And I also have a proposed secret plan for Ohio State that I, I'm just going to tease you guys on that because, well, I'm not going to give you the secret plan right now. But but Jalen Carter is a problem. And I did think in watching the Oregon game as an example, he is not often on the nose and is like right over the center. Nazir Stackhouse is the guy. Luke Whipler is going to know what what flavor gum Nazir Stackhouse chews because they're going to be nose to nose the entire game. Jalen Carter is usually a, more of an offset three technique inside. And as Steven said, they'll do sort of a three down front with a stand up jack type of edge player as the fourth guy. Yep. They at times will go with the four four down lineman, right? But they really are sort of a three man front a lot of times and they'll go heavy heavy heavy. They'll have Jalen Carter and two copycats as their three defensive linemen where they're they're going 6566 six, six, well over 300 plus. They're not all 360 or something, but they're like a heavy front and I do feel like Nathan, I don't think you I don't think you move Jalen Carter. Like this is not, I think in the run game part of this, I don't think you can move George's defensive front. The idea of like, hey, let's fire off the ball and knock these guys backwards. I don't know that I saw Georgia get knocked backwards at all with Jalen Carter as the the centerpiece of this. But I also still think there's an opportunity within that to try to run up the middle. And it's not by knocking them backwards. It's by sealing them off, making a little lane and hitting it quick. Because I do think some of the success you had, especially when they'd go on a three down, a three man front with some of these these edge rushers standing up, I thought Nathan there were times people hit them with some draws, people ran the ball on passing downs at times, and you could hit it and you could hit it up the middle, and you almost have to get him before he has a chance to get you, because as Jalen Carter, he's really going to make his money, Nathan. He's going to be in there on some rundowns, but he makes his money on passing downs. But I don't. I don't think you can be completely – I would not be afraid to run at him. You've just got to run by him almost before he can react, I think, with some quick hit and stuff up the middle. So the most recent opponent they've played, LSU, did that. I thought that they were going right at him up the middle a, a decent amount. And some of that might be that they were testing him because he's been coming back from injuries and whatnot. And um, I think they even made uh, – the commentator during the game even made some kind of allusion to that, that, that teams have maybe been more – willing to attack him that way than they were early this season. It's just that you know, clearly there's going to have to be some double teams involved here too. It's going to take more than one Ohio State offensive lineman to handle him a lot of times. And as you were alluding to, because if you know the question we sort of asked ourselves was like who jumps off the film at you? Well it could be any one of these defensive tackles. Like it's there's more guy like Nazir Stackhouse you already mentioned. I thought Bear Alexander w- was a very noticeable guy a lot of times and he's a guy who's also missed some time recently. But you now he's got just as we've been talking about all these Ohio State guys getting 35 days to heal up. They get one week less than that because they had to go play an SEC championship game. But 
they still get a month to to figure some things out and and get their treatment and get some of their most important guys back to health. So it's it. I think you're right that it, it's going to you can attack them there, but I also think that there's just not a lot of margin for error. That it's going to take some um, a, a more consistent blocking effort than we have seen at times, and it's definitely going to take what we uh, have, have definitely not seen at times from the running game and the running backs. Like, are you hitting holes? Are you hitting the right hole? Are you hitting it aggressively? Because uh, again, just, just less margin for error. You don't get to, you don't get as many do-overs against this defense. So like the run game discussion obviously goes along with talking about Georgia's defensive line. It reminds me of the thing that I've been like yelling at Ohio state opponents for 18 years, which is, when Ohio State's defense is at its best, which it hasn't, you know, the past few years I haven't been yelling it as much. You can't run wide. Like, don't think you can run wide. You're going to get tracked down. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't bounce. Don't bounce. This is And this is not a Jalen Carter discussion. This is, I, I'm just, right, I'm waiting for the next Ryan Shazier in the Ohio State linebacking core. They don't have a guy as good as Ryan Shazier, but they have some guys who, when they track guys down, they track ball carriers down, it looks enough like Ryan Shazier to like pass the test for me. And if you think, oh, Steel Chambers is pretty good at that, good at that, it's like, okay, let's turn on some Georgia film and watch what that is. Don't bounce. Don't bounce. You are not going to get to the edge, right? That is not your plan. So you've got to hit him up inside. And I will say this. I thought in the Oregon game, they double teamed Carter almost every snap that most mm-hmm. of the time you watch again, this three man front every now and then with the way you line up, Carter will wind up on a tackle. So there'll be times where it's like, Oh, who's supposed to block him here. It's the right tackle. More often than not though, it's a guard. And there are, there were other games, Steven, where I thought I would watch and you would see, they would leave the guard on Jalen Carter. And then the center would be looking for work or being ready because we have to talk mm-hmm. about they'll bring a late – it's almost not yeah. even a blitzer. They'll bring a late rusher you have to be aware of. But sometimes yeah. they don't bring that late rusher, and you would watch film, and the center would be looking for a guy who never comes while the guard is being eaten and spit out by mm-hmm. Jalen Carter six inches away. And it's like, why didn't you help that guy with him? Help him! He's being destroyed. Yeah. Help him. But Oregon, I thought Oregon – no, it didn't work. No. <laughs> the 49 While not working. <laughs> I mean, okay. While not working, I thought, so for instance, the LSU game by PFF stats, 34 pass rush snaps, six pressures for Jalen Carter. That's a pretty good conversion rate on pressure yeah, for an interior offensive lineman. Oregon, 20 pass rush snaps, two pressures. I didn't think Jalen Carter destroyed the Oregon game because I thought they were very purposeful of, listen, when he's going up against a guard or if he is over the center, every now and then he'll be over the center. We know where he is. And then the guy next to him is going to double team him. We are not treating him like a normal guy. We know it's him. And we are going to have two guys on him almost all the time. And so sometimes you talk about, hey, a great defensive tackle. They eat up two offensive linemen. And that's a victory in itself. Great. Eat them up. Allow yourself to be eaten. Don't leave him one-on-one. Steven, if Mm. Ohio State leaves, because listen, here's the thing I would say, and we'll talk about the late blitzers later because it's part of the Kirby Smart idea. I was going to get into some of that. I think I would leave, I would leave, I would rather make CJ responsible for the blitzer and be like, listen, man, 
We're going to try to keep, we'll keep, we'll keep it back in, but you've got to be aware of him. Sometimes you're waiting for the late blitzer who's coming and you get him blocked or he never comes. And it doesn't matter because Jalen Carter has consumed your quarterback by that point. Don't let Jalen Carter beat you. Let, and let CJ diagnose. Also, I'm not so sure I wouldn't play Mitch Rossi 40 snaps as the running back and just be like, oh, hey, yeah. we're not. We're not handing the ball off to the running back. We're just having him stand next to the quarterback so CJ doesn't oh. get destroyed. But Stephen, I th- I think they have to double Jalen Carter as much as possible, just like you would double Chase Young on the edge. Just like you would say, "Hey, we're going to have a tackle and a tight end out here." I think he's got to have the center and the guard on him, or the guard and the tackle on him, not as a oh. Hey, if I if if there's not a late rusher coming, let me go and help late. I think a primary double in the game plan and and like let the rest of the chips fall where they may. I would at least start there, Stephen, because it feels like too often when you just, especially on an important passing down, when you leave him one on one with the guard, your guard ends up in the hospital. I I just don't and and I don't think the Ohio State interior offensive linemen are in the spot to handle Jalen Carter one on one all that much. No, not even. I mean, Donovan Jackson's a really good guard. I'm not expecting first year starting starter Donovan Jackson to handle Jalen Carter all on his own. That's just not fair. But not a bad plan. I get how you got there. I thought about that, except I think <laughs> Georgia knows that. So that's part of the problem. Georgia knew that they were going to double Jalen Carter. This is what having great players does, especially on the interior. Okay, fine. You're not going to have the center worry about a late blitzer. You're going to send him over there to Jalen Carter. Blitzer's coming. I think you have to – The part of the problem with the delayed blitz, it seems like – I'm not in their coaches' meeting, so I don't know this to be exact, but it seems like that blitzer is responsible for the running back. So the moment that the running back is not an option in the passing game, he becomes a free blitzer to come do whatever he wants to do. So now, to your point, you're either hoping that your running back is good and pass pro and can keep that blitzer from getting home or CJ gets rid of the ball quick enough, which goes into the wide receiver's – winning at the line of scrimmage or do you double and you get that running back out of there and make Georgia have to remember that have to consider him as a passing threat in this game so that way it takes away the blitzer but also Jalen Carter has to deal with another human being which also buys CJ Stroud a little bit more time if the wide receivers aren't winning consistently at the line of scrimmage and it's it's part of the scheme that late rusher, right? Because sometimes yeah. it's not even really a blitzer. Sometimes it's only the fourth guy. It's just he's a little bit mm-hmm. late, and he's coming from depth a little bit because the the whole thing with this Kirby Smart defense, if you read about it, is it's kind of and it's one of the things. It's like it's it's designed to stop the spread. It's like a spread killer. It's like well, Ohio State kind of doesn't really run the spread. They run like an NFL offense. So actually, that's not a terrible idea like that they spread it out but you watch even like tennessee's you know or alabama a lot of the stuff the initial look is like an rpo zone read off of something where it's like okay well i mean ohio state does some of that but that's not what they're going to do every snap so but that late blitzer it's not a sixth guy it's either a fourth guy or a fifth guy so to me mm-hmm. if it's a fourth guy it's like okay well we have our two tackles one-on-one all day on the outside and then we've got the guard on one of the other interior guys and um, or, or it's like, I, I just, I don't think you're overwhelmed by numbers. You're overwhelmed by talent. And I just, Nathan, it dried, it was driving me crazy. It drive me crazy. I'm sure it was driving the coaches who lost to Georgia crazy. 
you have a guy, you have a guy who's blocking air, waiting for something that never comes. And that's the whole Kirby Smart thing. It's you don't know where, you know, like usually a three-man front, you know, these three guys are coming, but you don't know who else is coming. It might be inside guys, it might be outside guys, it might be stand-up edge guys on the on the outside the tackle, it might be a linebacker who's who's standing right over the center, it might be a guy from the slot. You don't know where that pressure's coming from, which is from the whole point. And so they get the effect. Again, this is, you know, you read the really intense breakdowns on the Kirby Smart defense. They get the effect of five-man pressure with four men. Because you wind up with a guy blocking air because it, he might a guy might be coming, and then he never comes, and then Jalen Carter gets a one-on-one. So I just, I don't, I don't know, Nathan, with a month of prep, I would rather get beat by the guy who may or may not come, who's not a top five NFL draft pick, then get beat by the guy who is right over my guard, who I kind of know can't block Jalen Carter by himself. I would rather just help there first and then deal with the rest of the consequences. Because Nathan, didn't you feel like you, you when you watch it, there's just a lot of instances on, oh, it's one-on-one and it's over. Definitely. And I agree with you that when you're game planning for a situation like this, I think you have to line up your strengths against their strengths. So what is Ohio State's strength? Is Ohio State's strength Matt Jones or Luke Whipler blocking Jalen Carter one-on-one? Or is it CJ Stroud diagnosing a blitz? Like which of those two things has a higher success rate over the course of a game? I like CJ Stroud's brain there. And that's not a it's not a dig on those guys. It's that he's just better. He that's his that's the elite skill that one of the elite skills that Ohio State's offense takes into this game. So I agree. I think I would you know let them attack that way. They probably will. Although that's the other thing that as I was watching a lot of these games, I started to think about was not just schematically, but the fact that Ohio State and I don't don't need to go into this conversation for another hour, but CJ Stroud doesn't run the ball the way some of these SEC quarterbacks do watching the, the Kentucky game with, with Will Levis would, would pull it down and run it. They obviously played, you know, several other teams that would do that. Does Kirby smart attack Ohio state in a different way because he doesn't have to account for that. And then consequently does Ohio state see a way that it can sneak a couple of those opportunities. But I, I, that did make me wonder if from a, a, a blitzing standpoint or just how they account for numbers, are they going to attack in a slightly different way? Because they know Stroud is great at diagnosing the, the blitzes, but is very hesitant to re- to use his legs at all. To the point, the running point, did you think Will Levis that, and Hendon that's Hooker not being... Go, that's not go huge down the quarterback running point. I'm not. Wait, I'm just, my okay. only question is, do you think it worked? Whether it was Bo that's, Nix. That's a quarterback run discussion. That is not a Jalen okay. Carter discussion. We're going to say okay. that for how Ohio State needs to attack Georgia. I think if you, but if you have, say you have Jalen Carter lined up over the right guard for Ohio State and that there, and say that there is somebody outside of him, right? That there's, he's not the end guy. There's another stand up rusher out there. I would be much more interested in Dewan Jones blocking down and helping Matt Jones on Jalen Carter and leaving Cade Stover, for instance, out there to deal with the guy on the edge than I would be in, okay, well, we're going to have Dewan block this guy out here and leave Matthew Jones inside. I just think, again, I think double teaming Jalen Carter is the, is the key, Stephen, because you'll see two things happen with Jalen Carter. One is he wins with his hands. This is the thing about, right? Great athlete, great technique. 
He wins with his hands. He ducks under a guy and he's in the quarterback's face in a nanosecond. Or he is just driving interior linemen back into the lap of the quarterback. It's, it's technique and it's power, right? And you don't know which one is coming. And both are incredibly disruptive. I do think, Stephen, from this standpoint, that interior pressure, right, that's what screws up a quarterback the most. Because if you get edge pressure, you step up in the pocket, and that's what you want to do. I think CJ is going to have to find a way to – because I don't think the answer can be, Stephen, okay, Jalen Carter is pushing someone back into CJ's lap, and he escapes. I want I would rather I want CJ to slide and stay in the side of the pocket, right? I don't I think if like bail to bail on a pocket that is collapsing in your face, I think is going to be a problem. I think CJ needs to find a way to acknowledge, okay, I'm occasionally going to have my own lineman at my knees. But I'm I'm going to stay I'm going to slide two steps one way or the other and I'm going to stay in this other part of the pocket that has not collapsed and I'm going to look to make the throws that I want to make. Cause that that's the difference about interior pressure versus edge pressure that everybody knows, Steven, that I yeah. think you can get happy feet when it's blowing up right up the middle and Jalen Carter in multiple ways blows things up, up the middle 15 times a game. Yeah. His footwork's going to be crucial and I don't even more crucial than it was against Michigan. Cause I don't think Mozzie Smith had, the biggest impact in the pass rushing category there until it was late. And it was very obvious that Ohio State was going to have to throw the ball. So, that, I mean, that tends to happen at the end of the games. So you just kind of have to have great footwork, but then also from a play calling standpoint, move the pocket, maybe a little bit more, make, make these defensive linemen, especially Jalen Carter chase you a little bit. Some of those sprint out plays, especially early on in the game, when you feel like Ohio State's trying to get in the tempo, those are good spots to use that because then if you got it, if he's chasing you, it's one, I mean, Jalen Carter's good. He's fast and he's strong and he's all those things. It's very easy for him to come get you if you're just standing there. Make him work a little bit harder by chasing you a little bit. So if you throw a little some of those, you know, sprint outs one way or play action rollout to the right or play action rollout to the left, just stuff to get CJ moving, even if it's not running, it's just him moving and just moving where the pocket is. That can prolong the maybe just give CJ a couple extra seconds to look downfield and find somebody. All right, Stephen, who's a, guy, a Georgia guy that isn't Jalen Carter that that jumped out to you as you rewatched? Yeah, I've, I've, the Keeley Ringo thing is interesting to me. Uh, his PFF numbers aren't great this year, but that's a first-round dude who is a very different corner than a lot of the other guys in that first-round discussion. He's 6'2", 210. And, you know, two years ago, if somebody said that there was a defensive back who was 6'2", 6, 210 pounds, and he was coming to Ohio State, we go, bullet! That's the bullet right there. And now he'd probably be a – he's the size of a, a big, strong safety, but with all the technique in the world, he had a pick against the Tennessee against Tennessee where his coverage was so good that it turned into him being the receiver on the play. Because he – And it was a deep shot to Cedric Tillman. Yeah, yeah. and Cedric mm-hmm. Tillman's like a first or second round wide receiver. And it's, it does, it's not just him. I think their secondary overall is better than it was last year. But – Keely Ringo isn't always consistent, but he makes plays. And I'm thinking about Marvin Harrison in this round of Marvin's a freak, but he hasn't necessarily had a guy on the other side of the ball who was a freak as well covering him. Joy Porter was the closest thing to that. Keely Ringo is that because he's a bigger dude who doesn't sacrifice any of the skill or technique or speed that you need to play that position. And they're not going to be lined up on each other every single play, but 
I mean, they're going to get their fair share of times to go up against each other. And I think that's an interesting thing when Ohio State's best weapon is going up against a guy who physically can match him and also uses that to his advantage, sometimes to his detriment, but a lot of times to his benefit. So I do think, right, sometimes they'll rush four and just sort of drop seven guys in some kind of zone and break on the ball and do that kind of thing. Sometimes they'll line their corners up. It's it's uh, Keely Ringo and um, Kamari Lassiter, who are their outside corners. They'll line them up and let them play press man. I did think, Stephen, on that play in particular, I thought it stood out because I didn't think Tillman's release was anything special off the no. line. And it allowed Ringo to run with him step for step, be physical, box him out. And as you said, he looked more like the receiver than Tillman did. They they are willing at times, I think, to trust Ringo and Lassiter. And mm-hmm. I think Tennessee at times, maybe more late, moved the ball a little bit. They'd run some hard comeback routes where it's like, I'm going to run hard, break off my route, come back. And, and, and it is like a one-on-one kind of thing. I don't – Nathan, what do you think of this? When I was watching the games this year, and this, of course, relates to Ringo, I don't know that I saw – the elite sort of route running and technique of the Ohio that I think the Ohio state receivers are capable of. And as much as I do think, I think you look at this group, this back five as a group for Georgia. I think there's a lot there. I think there's more there this year than there was last year, but I all, I think it's fair, Nathan, as good as the Tennessee receivers are, I didn't feel like they did a great job of shaking guys in that Mm -hmm. game and and making it tough. I don't know, Nathan. I, I, I think that, Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming have a chance to offer Georgia a different challenge than anything they've seen this year from receivers. Yeah, I thought some of the same things. I just don't know that any of those other opponents really had the the depth of talent that Ohio State has. And uh, well, I mean, Ten- Hyatt and Tillman and Brew McCoy, yeah. they have they have, a, they have multiple dudes on every snap, but they're different kind that, of guys, I think. Yeah. But that Tennessee game was probably the best concept of what Ohio State is, just because they did have their full assessment of weapons in that game. Right. But, they, but Tennessee really wants to get after it down the field. And I thought yeah. Tennessee missed some opportunities there. And, w- and we can talk more about that Tennessee game specifically, because there's also a couple things at play that are not going to be at play in this Georgia Ohio state game. But Nathan, I do think, I just feel like watching the Tennessee receivers more in depth. I feel like the Ohio state receivers were a little more technique sound and, and those Tennessee guys were a little more about physical let's get deep let's punish people down the field but once you had some corners who could run with them and be physical with them I don't know that I thought that they were gonna run great routes to get open the way I think Ohio State receivers sometimes are capable of doing that Nathan yeah you keep bringing up the word physical and I think that's going to be a big part of this matchup I think that especially um, you know Julian Fleming Emeka Abuka are they helping sort of dictate the physicality of this game uh, as it comes to, you know, getting off the line, uh, making the first hit on some of those guys, kind of delivering a message. Emeka Buka was talking about that a little bit, just in general, not even necessarily about this matchup, about how he he wants to be able to do that. And I think that's going to be a, a significant part of this game because, listen, I, how many teams in the Big Ten, uh, even if Georgia isn't, you know, the, the most elite secondary, how many of them have a secondary like this? How many teams that Ohio State played? I mean, Iowa's pretty good back there and Penn State's pretty good back there. I don't know that there's anybody else that I that that really impresses me that much in terms of just like that 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 secondary and the, the number of athletes that, that Georgia's gonna be able to put on a field. 
So our, our, and listen, there were times in that Penn State game where that was a problem, especially as it came to the, the bubble screens and things like that. Like who was really out there setting the physical tone? It wasn't Ohio State's receivers. So that's something that I think has to happen on as much as we'll talk, I think, more about those one-on-one opportunities downfield, because I think that's going to be a crucial part of this game. I know there's already been a lot of talk about the underneath and the quick stuff you can do. I think one sets up the other and you've got to hit on the other thing or the first part of it maybe doesn't matter as much. And that, that's going to be a huge part of this game. But Ohio State has the guy it knows it can can do that. It has a guy it knows it can trust in basically any one-on-one situation. And it has other guys that can maybe do that. But again, I think that the physicality of this game, if, if Ohio State starts to get knocked around early in this game, even out on the perimeter, I think it, it trickles down. I think it becomes a problem and allows Georgia to assert itself more. Steven, in terms of big physical corners, right, do you think Joey Porter Jr. is a decent yeah. comparison for Ringo? And it felt like Marvin did what he needed to do in that game against Penn State. Yeah, I think that's the one game this year where Marvin had to physically fight a cornerback to get off of him. And, I mean, 10 catches, 170-plus yards. So he did what he needed to do there. And I think that is the – Joey Porter, I think, prepared Marvin Harrison to go up against Georgia. And not you brought up last year. He's the same way. He's just not as big as Ringo is. But that idea of – Winning at the line of scrimmage because they're going to put their hands on you and they're going to put their as it's going to be interesting to see some refs call games looser and tighter than other refs. That's just how it goes. How loose or how tight are these refs? Because Georgia is going to touch you at the line of scrimmage. They're going to touch you downfield. They're going to touch you at the top of your route when you're trying to break somewhere else. And Marvin had to fight in that Penn State game. And to Nathan's point, it felt, there were times where it felt like he was the only one who showed up to the fight which is why he had the breakout game. And it wasn't really until late where you saw other people get involved. That can't happen this week because there's a Joey Porter. And then there's another Joey Porter. And then there's another, there's more. Keely Ringo is the best of the group, but he's not the only one who is a high level talent. And so they're going to need these wide receivers have to show up, especially at that line of scrimmage. They have to win at the line of scrimmage. Now what happens downfield? I mean, that's town on town at the end of the day, but you can't consistently be losing at the line of scrimmage. And it felt like watching some of these other games, wide receivers were getting beat at the line of scrimmage and the play was kind of dead. Kalen King was a really good corner for Penn State this year as well. And I actually think King yeah. probably played played better in the Ohio State game than Porter did. And Penn State had safeties too. I, I do think Penn State is a, is a decent, like, whatever, you know, JV look at, at – and, mm-hmm. and not even not, – not, not even be fair. I think maybe the Penn State secondary – I think the Penn State secondary is the best Ohio State face this year. And I do think it might have been eighty percent, eighty-five percent of what Georgia can be. So, and, and again, it took a while, but Ohio State eventually worked it out against that secondary. And I think I think there's something to be learned from that. Um, I do think you can try to use the aggression against them a little bit. I think you've got to hold up and protect. And this is the whole thing, right? Protection ties to coverage. If you can block Jalen Carter a little bit, can you run some double moves? Can you take some shots off of that? Um, Nathan, I mean, we, we can do a little bit of this now, as you were saying, Tennessee missed a couple, you know, I thought Tennessee missed one early where they ran by somebody. They missed one late where they ran by somebody and, and handed hooker missed both those deep shots. I think you do have a chance with any aggressive secondary, you have a chance to set them up a little bit, but then Nathan, when you, when you try it, you got, you gotta hit it. They have to hit. They've got to try deep shots on these corners and they have to hit them and you have to hit one early. I think, because if you hit one early, it changes the whole flow of the game and backs them off a little bit. And, and Tennessee did not do that. They did not do that. 
And part of that was Georgia, but I think part of that was Tennessee. So I, I don't think that Ohio State would look and be like, because there have been games this year where there's been enough, you know, dropping deep in coverage where it's like, well, it just feels like there's like it's not really there. I think maybe it'll be there for Ohio State, Nathan, and they've got to try and they've got to hit. This can factor in a little bit more prominently in a different segment that we have about who needs to, to step up for Ohio State. But you're right. I mean, listen, Ryan Day's already said they need to score in the 40s. So in a game like, for instance, the Michigan game, where that kept coming up to me as I was watching some of these other games for for Georgia, because just in relation to what Ryan Day has already stated, that Ohio State's offense is going to need to score X number of points probably to win any playoff game. Well, the Michigan game, the way it was playing out before those the bad they allowed the bad explosive plays, that was actually more of like a low scoring game that was unfolding, at least in terms of you know, by, by playoff standards. And so those play, those pass plays downfield maybe weren't as, as critical, but here, I think as much as the, the opportunity is going to be there, you're still are going to be throwing against, you know, better DBs than you're usually throwing against. So you have to just capitalize on those opportunities because uh, without them, I think expecting to be able to drive methodically over and over and over and over and over against this defense is not sustainable. Um, you can do it. You can get the underneath stuff, but the whole design of this defense is uh, you can tinker around with this underneath stuff until Jalen Carter sits on your head. So when you've got to be able to take those deep shots and you've got to be able to hit him. And I don't think it can be just Marvin Harrison Jr. All right. So I'll give um, my guy that is the, the Georgia guy that I really was impressed by runner up for me beyond the guys we already talked about was Javon Bullard. Who's their slot corner. Mm-hmm. Mike Sandra still the guy who plays that position for Michigan is one of the best in the country. And Bullard's one of the best in the country, physical tight coverage, whether that's on the tight end. I think he's like their version of Tanner McAllister. And mm-hmm. he's just, I think he's, he's a, he's a physical dude who can play tight coverage. So I, I don't know that Cade Stover is going to shake loose for much in this game with the way that Javon Bullard plays and he'll at times, I think be on slot receivers and stuff too. So really good player, but I thought Christopher Smith, their safety to me, I would just tell Lathan Ransom to lock himself in a room and watch Christopher Smith film for four months this off season. Cause that's how you want to play safety. He attacks in the run game. He can cover. Um, he will he will attack um, and jump routes from the safety position. He's super smart. He's the guy who picked up the the blocked kick against LSU and ran it back. Like he's the smartest guy on the field, and he's really talented as well. To, to me, he's he's a little. I like Jaquan Brisker last year for Penn State. It's just like a, I want that guy. Give me that guy who's like a, a super hard nosed competitor and just like understands football inside and out. Um, he's going to be a problem, right? If you, I think if they try to run some bubbles and that kind of thing, or if you try to get wide at all, he's going to attack you and he's going to take guys down and he'll, he'll tackle an open space and he'll play some of that deep safety stuff and make plays on the ball too. So I, he's just all, he's everywhere, Steven. I just thought that that's, that's what safety, it's not like a deep, it's not a center fielder guy who's kind of just patrolling as a last line of defense. He'll get after it. Um, more in the middle of the field too. And in the box. So I just thought that Christopher Smith, I don't, you know, it's a little bit of a game with CJ probably at times, like where's he helping? Where's he going to be? I did think at times it's almost like a little bit what we saw um, when Michigan did it to Cam Martinez in that game. I think at times you can, if you can get the right matchup, you can run at him and make him play one-on-one coverage. And that's not what he does best. I think the first deep shot that Tennessee missed was one-on-one on him and they ran by him. 
And it's like, okay, well, now that's not his specialty. His specialty is more floating, attacking, helping, diagnosing. So if you can if you can scheme it up and, and go at him, just like Jalen Carter, don't be afraid to run at him. Run at him so we can't do all the other stuff. Don't be afraid to go at Christopher Smith. Go at him because he can't do all the other stuff. But when he's doing all the other stuff, Stephen, he's just smart and dangerous, it felt like. Him and Buller can hit, man, and they're not – Bigger – when I'm watching them, I'm like, man, those are some big, big safeties. They're both 5'11", 185, 190 pounds. They're not the biggest dudes in the world. They just play bigger than that. But I do agree with that. He is uh, – Smith specifically, I wonder how that – they'll scheme up for him and try to get him on guys. And then how much of it is like, okay, where is Smith at? Where Where's 29? Oh, he's on my slot this time. We're going at him. Oh, he somehow ended up on a wide receiver. We're going at him. Oh, we're in the red zone, and somehow he ended up on Cade Stover. Here, Cade, come go catch this ball. Because to your yes, he is a very good safety from a free safety standpoint. But the moment it's time for him to cover somebody, that's when it becomes a bit of an issue, which goes back into okay, identify that, attack it, but then you've got to hit on it because Georgia is very quick to clean that up after uh, offense has showed them, hey. We can attack this. I don't know how many more times in that Tennessee game I saw Smith in a situation like that after Tennessee attacked it the first time. And so that is – he is – it's not a weak link. It's just you know nobody's good at everything. And so how often can Ohio State get a guy in a position that he's not normally used to being in? And then can they attack it and can they execute it? And with Smith and Bullet, that's going to be key because those outside corners are always going to get it done. Better in the secondary this year for Georgia, not as good up front. But the five guys that they're going to put out there in the secondary, Kamari Lasseter and Keely Ringo as the outside corners, Javon Bullard as the slot corner, and then Chris Smith and Malachi Starks, who's a true freshman, who made like a leaping, unbelievable pick against Oregon, you know, in the first quarter of his first college game. But then also they, when Tennessee finally hit something against Georgia, it's because Malachi Starks bit too hard on like a, a shorter route and took a bad angle and let a guy release down the sideline. He's still a true freshman. Now he's played a whole bunch of games and they've really relied on him. But um, I think the safeties in general, you've got to try to attack the safeties because if you let them float because you're attacking elsewhere, they'll get you, right? That's like, you can't be afraid to go at them. Starks, I think is a better cover guy, but as young, Smith is not as good of a cover guy, but is just does the right thing all the time. But that is a back five to be respected and um and it's going to be a good matchup with the ohio state receivers so we'll talk about that matchup when we come back we're going to talk about the ohio state guys that need to be big need to show up in this game in the peach bowl we'll do it next on buckeye talk hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You can be a tech subscriber. I think we're, we're almost in the window where if you subscribe now, we're almost there. Yeah. By Saturday, if you subscribe on Saturday, it's a two-week free trial. You'd get through, I think, the, the national title game on the 31st. Excuse me, the semifinal on the 31st and get our text during the game. Somebody, I think somebody joined this week and texted and said, hey, do you guys text during the game? And we were like, do we text during the game? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, if you don't, if you're like, I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be bothered during the game. Then don't, 
don't subscribe. <laughs> or you can subscribe <laughs> for the 13 days and then stop before the game because, yeah, we text during the game. And we don't text play-by-play. Like, you're watching the game. We know you're watching the game. And if you're not watching the game, we are not your lifeline to the game. Who would, be, who would like, subscribe to the text and be like, eh? Although it is on New Year's Eve, actually. There are going to be people in that situation. But it's not like, hey, 13-yard gain on second and eight. That's not what we're doing. But we're analyzing on the fly, hopefully with things that, you know, just the average fan wouldn't necessarily know because we talk to people about things that week. 614-350-3315. Steven, who's your Ohio State guy that, based on this game, you're thinking like, all right, time to go? Yeah, in the flow of since we're, we've been talking about the secondary, I think a Mecca Buka needs to have the best game he's had as an Ohio State player. I think up to this point, he's just been consistently putting numbers up because he's been in the slot and that position gets the numbers. It's very similar to Jackson Smith, the Jigba pre Nebraska game, where it's just all right. Yeah, he had six, seven catches, 89 yards. It's pretty decent, but nothing too crazy. And then all of a sudden, Garrett Wilson's out. So it's like, oh, now he's doing things that are not normal. And he spent the rest of the year doing that. I don't feel like we've seen that from a Mecca yet. He's averaging five and a half catches per game on 8.1 targets, 86.6 yards. 40 of those yards come after the catch, which I think that's the the main stat I want to focus on because he is in the slot. He needs that number to be north of 60 because they need somebody to make plays in this offense. And Marvin, that's still a part of his game that still needs to develop the yards after the catch part. But if you know Marvin is going to give you eight catches for 115 yards and maybe a touchdown or two, he needs a Robin. He needs a running mate. And that's the thing that I keep going, I keep remembering with the Utah game, even regardless of who they were going up against. As crazy as what Jackson Smith the Jigba was doing, Marvin Harrison had three touchdown catches in that game. So there was a running mate, somebody else who came along for the ride long enough that allowed Jackson to start doing superstar stuff when it was time to do that. I think Marvin's going to do superstar stuff on December 31st, but he needs a running mate to come along for the ride for him to be able to do that. This can't be the Marvin Harrison show the same way it was against Penn State until up late when Emeka made that catch that allowed Trayvon Henderson to get that second touchdown run. They need both of those two guys to perform at a high level because if not, it allows a very good secondary, a very good defense to just try to sell out on taking away Marvin Harrison. But also, Emeka's in the slot. And we're talking about, you know, late blitzers and the way Jalen Carter might blow up this offensive line. I mean, you need a guy over the middle who can constantly get open, constantly win and then do something with the ball. So I, I think more than anybody else, they need a Mecca to have. I don't know yet if he has a game where it's, oh, that was the Emeka Buka game. They need that to be on December 31st. So I do think the most informative game for Ohio State in the Georgia matchup is the SEC championship game from last year. And in that game, Bryce Young with what he did, but the receivers, I think Jamison Williams had 112 receiving yards in the first half and John Mechie had 97. And then Mechie got hurt right at the end of the first half. And then that was it for Mechie for the year. And then as we know, by the time they got to the national title game, then Jamison Williams got hurt and then they didn't have him. But when Bama Nathan had both receivers, both receivers and a quarterback who got him the ball, both receivers did work. Now, again, the Georgia secondary last year wasn't as good, but their front seven was better. That, I think, I think the Emeka idea of like, all right. And, and again, it's almost the reverse. It's like, it's not that Jamison Williams and Marvin are the same kind of receiver, but it's like, okay, that's the superstar receiver. But Mechie had mm-hmm. 97 yards on six catches and a half, Nathan. That, 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 that. 
I don't know. And again, it's just the Tennessee thing. There's things to learn from Tennessee and there's things not to learn. But I think that is the ideal of, and, I, and Nathan, I do agree. A Mecca, this, like if a Mecca is almost as dangerous as Marvin, I then you're, you've got something going then against Georgia, I think, Nathan. Yeah, there were two names that in answer to this question jumped out at me, and he was one of them. And it's because we, a couple of things, but you can, when you watch this Georgia defense this year, I, I feel like the middle of the field is pretty consistently open if Ohio State wants to take it. And that's where he can thrive. That, as Steven said, like that's where he lines up. That's where he can work. It goes back to what we were talking about before, too, about are you going to be physical? Are you going to like accept that challenge? And, and some of this, too, is simply. And I know people don't want to probably get into the whole, maybe that we maybe we should though, the whole SEC-ness of, of everything. But we've always said that, you know, Ohio State is is one of the few programs that is supposedly built to uh, hang in a matchup like this. And I know this guy is from Washington, but like who is one of the more like SEC bodies on this whole Ohio State team that you could put on the field against a team like Georgia and expect him to be able to to ball out a little bit. I think Emeka Buka is one of those guys just because he does have uh, a solid enough body with all of the athleticism and the ability to break away that, that he needs. I, this just seems like it's really set up for him to be able to play off of Marvin Harrison Jr. Do you line those guys up next to each other and make Georgia make tough decisions as to how they're covering those guys coming out of the break? That sort of thing. Um, what we've seen, you can go watch a lot of games. You can go watch, I was saw it in the LSU game. I saw it against Tennessee. I saw it against uh, Kent State a couple of times. Like you can get the middle of the field with, with this team. Um, you can get the middle of the field against this team. And how much are you capitalizing on that? Or as, as Steven says, are you turning? They're giving you seven because they don't think you can get. They're giving you seven because they think like 10 is the ceiling. Can you take seven and make it 25? Quick shout out to Kenny Burns, new head coach over at Kent State, since you brought that up. But I think, uh, but since you brought up the the middle of the field is constantly open, yeah, it is. This is one of those games. I think this is the one game most that they're going to be missing Jackson Smith the Jigba. Just because, and it's not because it's, it's Georgia, so yeah, you want the best receiver in the country. It's because of what Jackson Smith the Jigba does over the middle of the field and how it maximizes CJ Stroud's best skill. Do we see that with Emeka start to take that step towards maximizing what your quarterback's best skill is? Sean Lewis, the Kent State head coach who actually did that to Georgia, turned it into a gig with Coach Prime, man. He, went, he did. Yeah. He left to be the offensive coordinator in Colorado. Because Deion Sanders was like, hey, who's that guy who ran the Mac offense that gave Georgia problems? I want that guy. It's like, all right, Deion, that's a pretty good hire. Um, I thought the same thing of like, oh, Jackson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. That would because you can see it, Nathan. Like the Tennessee one, te- when it was weird. Like Tennessee at times moved the ball, and that's how they moved the ball. They got it out of Hooker's hands. They hit the middle of the field. They hit a couple, th- a couple out routes, and it's just when they took their deep shots, they missed them. But they did. Like Tennessee moved it, I, and they kept talking about the broadcast. Like they haven't had a completion of more than nine yards or whatever. It's like, well, I don't know. A bunch of sevens Ooh. work if you keep. Right? I mean, 7 plus 7 plus 7 is 21. So it's like, oh, they haven't had any plays over 20 yards. It's like, well, they had three straight sevens. Seven, seven, seven. Right? I mean, that that can – I don't think Ohio State wants to do that all day, but they could do it for a while. And I think, Nathan, like Ohio State can sort of be geared to do that. The best of what Tennessee did in a game where they didn't 
score much, I think Ohio State is very able to replicate. Well, it has, it has to be both, as I was saying before. Like, it, one sets up the other. One is almost the the foundational thing for you in a game like this. You're going to have to run the ball some, but I think that short passing game becomes the, the foundational thing that Ohio State's really trying to attack with here. I don't, really don't know the conventional run game is, is going to work. So now you've made that sort of your base, but then when those vertical opportunities are there, you can't be coming up empty as as Tennessee was. It was and and LSU was the other example. LSU did it a lot with Daniels in the first half of that game. I thought where they were sort of churning away short little things and passing. Well, then he gets hurt. They bring in the other guy, and that's where they started hitting it downfield. But more, but by then it was mm-hmm. they were chasing their tail a little bit. There wasn't it wasn't going to be enough. They've got to, you've got Ohio State has to incorporate both those things in tandem. But but Babuka is also the guy who when turned loose and listen he got banged up a little bit midseason and he was was playing through some things that was out there if he's does he get some extra time to heal up is the best version of him on the field as we talked about before earlier this week and we were talking about Travion Henderson and being out for the year it's not so much how much you're going to miss him is is everybody else as healthy as possible to make up for the fact that that guy's not there at all anymore so Yes, Jackson Smith and Jigba would be the best possible thing to put in the slot. But most teams in the country also can't put an Emeka Buka on the field to go in the slot against Georgia. That's the thing we sometimes forget. And now, is he the best version of himself for that game? Because that doesn't get you probably all the way to Jackson. I don't. It doesn't. But it gets you a lot farther than a lot of teams can get when they're trying to beat Georgia. All right, Nathan, who's your guy? Who's your Ohio State guy? You said you had two. One was Emeka. Who's your other one? He was one, and I also put Donovan Jackson on this list. And it goes back to all those things we were saying yep. earlier about the defensive, the interior defensive line of Georgia. It's not just Jalen Carter. It's all those guys. And a lot of times Carter seemed to line up. If you're facing Ohio state's line, he was lining up to the left side of that a lot. It seemed and maybe that was just some, I didn't track it. I didn't chart it, but that could mean that the double team doesn't fall on Jackson as much, but now Don, the guy Donovan Jackson's going heads up against is going to be, really strong, whether it's um, whether it's Nazir Stackhouse, whether it's Bear Alexander, whether whoever it is that's going to be coming on that other side. So I, this is going to be a huge game for him in terms of pass protection, and it's also going to be a, a big game for him in terms of getting out and pulling and leading in the run game. Because like I said before, I'm this is going to be a very difficult game for just a conventional run game to work. Even if Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams were at full health, I think that would be true. I think Ohio State's going to have to, 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 to slip some interesting wrinkles in, in in terms of the run game, which Kent State did, which is why that guy's uh, Coach Prime's offensive coordinator now. John Lewis, give him, put some respect on his name. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was very happy that week. <laughs> but you're also going to have to listen. You're also going to have to just be. You're also going to have to to run the ball in, in a conventional way at times. And w- Georgia has a is a way. It's this whole front set. We haven't even talked about the linebackers yet. And Georgia's best linebacker got hurt and is out for mm-hmm. the year. And the other three guys are all really good too. Like it's. I was really impressed with that whole group because it's a it's a group that really. Um, I thought they were fundamentally strong. It was a group that didn't seem out of place hardly ever. It was a group that there was always a lot of them around the ball. And so they have a tendency to to blow up some of these pulling opportunities from teams. And we, we saw other teams throughout the, the as we're going back through the, the schedule. I saw multiple teams when they tried to get 
horizontal in the run game when they tried to get to the edge it got flattened pretty easily and i don't know how much ohio state's even going to try to do that but if if jackson's out pulling and and setting that edge and that opens up that cutback lane that Mike Williams can now take because he's a little healthier. I think that's going to be critical. It's just, it's a second year guy who is supposed to be who Ohio state counts on to be another one of those sec caliber guys. And now does he step up and equate talent wise with the guys across from him at, at Georgia? Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, he was one of mine as well. It's a lot of these second year guys who were at the end of the year. You need to start looking more like a third year guy because you've played a lot of football for this team. And uh, we've all talked highly of the athlete that is Donovan Jackson and how much more athletic he is as an offensive guard than normal. Uh, we've seen it at times, but I don't know if we've seen it consistently yet. I would like to see that and it's full totality. And this is the best game to bring that out. I, I don't, I wasn't completely blown off the, the film with George's linebackers because Nolan Smith has been out, but yes, they are quality. They are always where they're supposed to be and they can make plays when they need to be. But if Donovan Jackson's getting out on those edges and pulling, whether it's left or right, and he's knocking guys over and creating more lanes and letting Mayan Williams get to that second level, it, we're talking about Ohio State's run game needs to stay on schedule, but it, as, there's going to come a point where it's going to need to do a little bit more than that just because that's how football works. And if Donovan Jackson's leading the way on some of those runs, that can open up a lot for this offense. So, yes, pass protection, do your best against Jalen Carter, all that stuff, yes. But more importantly, what does Donovan Jackson look like in the run game when he, you know, especially when he's the pulling guard? So I do think it's receivers and interior offensive linemen for Ohio State are kind of what this yeah. game is about. I don't think it's a huge Cade Stover game. I don't. I think the running backs, as long as they're okay, I think it's enough. We're going to have a C.J. Stroud conversation in the last segment. So you guys want to hear my secret plan? Sure. You, you want to guess what my secret plan is? Um, have C.J. Stroud throw for as many pass attempts as <laughs> uh, as you eat free chicken tenders in the media hospitality room. Never oh, run the ball. Be, oh, that would be a good, that would be a good bet. Prop bet. Which, which is more CJ Stroud passing yards or Chick-fil-A nugs that I eat in a week. It's like, could I eat? It's like Doug can probably eat like 360 nuggets in seven days. So are That's you, where are you on CJ on that? All right, here's my secret plan that I don't think Ohio State's going to do. And I'm 40, no, 53% joking, 47% serious. Move Paris Johnson back to right guard and play Josh Fryer at left tackle. Because who you got to block? You got to block the guy inside. I am not worried. I am not worried about the edge guys for Georgia. And Georgia this year has 26 sacks in 13 games. They're averaging two sacks per game, which is 77th in the nation. Last year, they had 49 sacks in 15 games. They averaged 3.27 sacks per game, which was sixth in the nation. Edge pressure, I don't think edge pressure is a huge deal in this game. Like, I think Dewan and Paris got it. I don't know how you block Jalen Carter. So Paris Johnson's played guard. Josh Fryer's played tackle. We don't know where Matthew Jones is for this matchup. I'm not so sure their best line isn't Josh Fryer, Donovan Jackson, Luke Whipler, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones. Now that sounds crazy, but that's how important I think it is to block these tackles inside. And he played right guard. It would be the culmination of like, why did they do this to you, Paris? 
week. In other worlds, you could have played, you could have been a starting tackle for three years in college. Instead, you got to be a starting tackle for one year in college. And guess what? You were a first team All-American the one year you got to do it. Why? Why did they make you do it? We complained about it on your behalf all of last season. Why? For this. To prep you for Jalen Carter. That doesn't mean they're gonna, you're gonna Jalen Carter's gonna be over you every snap. But guess what? Jalen Carter's gonna be over every snap. A five-star guard with a smart top 125 recruit center in between them. Donovan Jackson, Luke Whippler, Paris Johnson. Let's go. So that's Doug's fantasy world. And I think Josh Fryer will be fine. Because I don't like tell me who are you scared of on the edge? And, uh, honestly, right? I mean, when you watched it, did you th- did you see mm-hmm. lots of moments where you were getting edge pressure that was drastically affecting the game? I didn't see it. Point of order. Would you settle for moving Dewan Jones over to left tackle and just letting Josh Fryer play right tackle where he's repped more this year? In, in Doug's yes, fantasy. Yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. That's fine. It won't. It, I don't think it's going to happen either. But it's an interesting That's thing cool. to think about. I think yeah. in and listen in these matchups, sometimes this may not be the scenario. But in some scenario in this game, I think Ohio State has to kind of dare to be bold to win this game. I, I don't know if if you can just be heads up at twenty two positions and run this as if you're playing a a, a normal Big Ten game, uh, and even against a good Big Ten team like Wisconsin supposedly. Or somebody like that, and expect to win this game. I think you've got to. There's got to be something where you you dictate the you dictate the consequences. Like you're, you're like, listen, we know this is a gamble, but it's a calculated gamble, and we're all in on it. Like, so what's what's the scenario where they do that? I don't know if it's this. I think there's going to be something. I can't believe I don't hate this idea. It's actually kind of smart. Um, <laughs> it's just. I just it's it's too. I can't, I can't can believe we, I don't we, hate this idea, Buckeye talk. Yeah, I just for the sake of finding middle ground between this very crazy but very logical idea, um, I agree with just put Mitch at running back and say, "Hey, Mitch, I want you to watch Matthew Jones and Luke Whipple all game. You do not take your eyes off of that spot because if you see that man break through, it is your job to protect CJ Stroud." So that way, it's a double team plus a fullback slash tight end slash whatever the heck Rossi is. But I also, Rossi it's... has proven he can run it a little bit, so it's not a gimmick. Oh, I don't want to hand it to Rossi more than once, but but it's just the idea. Like, you yeah. abandon it. It's like, we're not running. The running back is not here no. to run. He's a sixth offensive no. lineman standing next to CJ. Yeah. They'll do looks. They'll have looks where they don't line anybody up over the nose. They'll have three down linemen, nobody over the nose, and then as a linebacker coming there. I do think mm-hmm. Luke Whipler's important here too because Luke Whipler's got to diagnose and set the protections, and he and CJ, as much as we talked about how smart those two are and how smart those two are together, I think you can see they do they give you a million different looks, and you don't know where the pressures are coming from. And so I think Whipler and CJ together, that brain power is going to be really important. I just think this is just a, a little bit of an unusual thing where how often is the disparity between your worries about internal pressure versus edge pressure this weighted towards internal pressure? Maybe, how about this? How about Paris slides to guard on third down? Like you have like a Fryer that's... Yeah, 
It's like Fryer. Oh, it's third down and Jalen Carter's inside. Oh, Fryer's moving from right guard. He's moving to right tackle. Dewan Jones is moving to left tackle. And Paris Johnson is lining up right in front of Jalen Carter. I mean, I know it'd be crazy. But I'm, I'm telling you again. It's the presidential package. They're like the Secret Service. It's the, they're in there on third down just to protect CJ. I like that. Yeah. The presidential package. I like that name. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but to me, that's how imperative it is to 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 handle this internal pressure. And it's just, I was I was surprised about th- there are not guys on the edge winning one on one. It's guys, it's guys again. These late blitzers or these, these late guys rushing who are finding gaps, right? And it's the and it's the internal tackles destroying guys. This is not there. This is I don't. There are not like edge guys just beating tackles one on one. That is not what Georgia does. But and honestly, like I went and looked at the Football Outsiders numbers because again, just when we were talking about that those defensive linemen that popped out at you, and when you look at just a lot of their. A lot of just the down to down stuff. Georgia ranks like first or second in the country. And that includes like, that's not just power five. That's everybody like they are that dominant. But then when you look at sack rate, 111th in the country in sack rate. Like that's, that's not that good. That's that's not impressive. They do things in other ways. And, and you can create, you can create problems without getting sacks. Now that's not me saying that when you watch Georgia play defense, you don't see pack pockets collapsing and and quarterbacks harassed guys in their face, arms in their face, getting not like that all happens. But in terms of just like getting home on sacks, that's, that's not what this defense thrives on. And it's not what Carter does, right? It's Carter, Carter creates problems. Carter destroys your plan, but he doesn't necessarily get home, but they don't, because a lot of times, how do you get sacks? It's like, well, you've got an edge rusher who beats a tackle one-on-one and he's on the quarterback and that's it. That's not what they do. So like Ohio State has these two All-American tackles and I don't want to say they don't need them, but they need All-American level play on the interior. And so I know it's crazy and they're not going to do it. But first of all, if Paris Johnson comes out at lineup at right guard, I'm jumping out of the press box. So that's just <laughs> bottom line. But also, well, if Paris Johnson came out on the first play and lined up at right guard or on the first third down moved to right guard, every Ohio State fan would be like, let's go. Right? What are you doing? Yeah. We're putting our best guy on their best guy. And we're not making it up because we made this our guy play that position all last year. For really no good reason, but it was the reason that you never saw coming. That is the Paris Johnson Jr. story. And then there's Greg Shadrawa sitting at home on his TV going, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) With a cigar in his mouth. I I think I like this. I I like this as the offensive version of the Rushman package more than I like it as like the default. But that, that I think okay. it's something that could – I'm not dismissing it, though. I mean, I again, dare to be bold and, and use your best guys where it makes the most sense. Like, don't be afraid to have to follow convention. Because what do they do with the Rushman package? They put ends inside right. to create mismatches. Oh. Right. Who's the – oh, Ohio State invented the presidential package where you do the same thing. Anyway, okay, that was my big secret. No one told me that. I just made it up. But when I thought of it, I got excited. Buckeye talk. When we come back, the theory of the case. How could this work? How should Ohio State attack the Georgia defense? We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk.
Okay, so I let you guys each go first once in the first segment, and I'm going to go first here because I have a theory of the case, and it is not run it. <laughs> Steven guessed. <laughs> I think that the plan for this is the Alabama plan from the SEC championship game last year. Mm-hmm. And the first seven drives last year for Alabama – when Alabama scored 31 points on those seven drives. They had a couple empty drives early, and then they got rolling. Bryce Young was 19 of 30 for 350 yards. They ran it 13 times with their running backs in those first seven drives, and Bryce Young scrambled three times. So in the end, they had 46 plays. They had 13 handoffs and they had 33 dropbacks. They dropped back 76% of the, no, 72% of the time. They handed it off like 28% of the time, 33 to 13, right? That's my ratio. That's my, how you attack them ratio. Now, Bryce Young in that game had three scrambles for 40 yards that mattered, including one for a touchdown. Other than that, other than those three scrambles, Bryce Young does not run. That's like as much as he's ever run. He does not run. Other than that, there really wasn't anything that Bryce Young, who is a different kind of quarterback than CJ in some ways, but is a similar kind of quarterback to CJ Stroud in other ways. I didn't think there was anything else that Bryce Young did in that game while tearing up that Georgia defense that CJ Stroud can't do. Stay in the pocket, get rid of the ball, diagnose and rip it. This is the CJ Stroud game. We talked about it all year. This is a brain game. And here's my analogy that I've also fallen, uh, I have decided upon, and I'm going to use it now every 15 minutes for the next two weeks. Last year, I kept calling the Georgia defense a swarm of bees and talking about them. How do you deal with a swarm of bees? You don't run from them. You don't run from the bees because guess what? The bees are going to get you. What do you do? You put on a helmet, you know, a bee helmet. And you calmly walk through the midst of the bees. And C.J. Stroud's bee helmet is his film study. C.J. Stroud's bee helmet is his brain. As athletic as Georgia is, you are not going to out-athlete this defense. You have to out-brain them. Bryce Young did that last year. When you watched Hendon Hooker, when you watched Anthony Richardson, Quarterbacks like that this year, they're holding the ball. They're trying to hold the ball and escape pressure and run. Doesn't work. Everybody who wants C.J. Stroud to run, not going to work. Stay in the pocket. Diagnose. Rip. Go. And as I think you said earlier, Stephen, the receivers have to win. Mm-hmm. Great releases. Win at the line of scrimmage. Rip. That is not what Georgia has faced this year. They're facing guys who are thinking, Hendon Hooker, it's just a different style, right? And it didn't work. Will Levis, they faced a lot. Now, I mean, Kentucky scored like six points, right? They, they, they faced some really athletic quarterbacks. I think they might have faced Bo Nix. Bo Nix didn't do it. Bo Nix, Anthony Richardson, uh, Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, and uh, God, what's escaping with the LSU quarterback? Why is his name escaping Jayden me? Right Daniels. Now? Uh, uh, Daniels. Jay Daniels. Daniels. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about really good quarterbacks, different style than CJ. But sometimes all the things that people at times want CJ to be, that does not work against Georgia, no matter how good you are at it. 
Bryce mm-hmm. Young is very athletic, but Bryce Young doesn't run. Yeah, those three runs against in the SEC title game last year were effective. It's not that was a little bit effective. You know what was really effective? Throwing for 350 yards in their first 46 plays. That was really mm-hmm. effective. Over the middle, guys on the move, deep shots that you hit. I think Ohio State has a chance to do this. I think, I think, Nathan, that CJ Stroud is the exact right kind of quarterback to attack this Georgia defense. It's a brain game. It's a mind game. You can't out-athlete a swarm of bees, but you can try to outthink them and read and rip. Go back and everybody, go watch Bryce Young in the SEC championship last year. And other than those runs, show me the things that he did that CJ can't do. That's not taken away from Bryce. I think Bryce is awesome. He's little. He's calm. He's smart. He can rip it. CJ Stroud is smart. He's got to be calm. He can rip it. And Bryce was effective when he had two receivers who could win. You've got to have two. Ohio State has two. Georgia doesn't normally face that. What they did against Tennessee was a completely different thing. And the other thing about the Tennessee game is it was at Georgia. Tennessee had eight pre-snap penalties. That home field advantage was maniacal. And then it started to rain. So it's not going to rain in Atlanta. And although it's in Georgia, it's not going to be a Georgia home game. There's going to be a bunch of Ohio State fans there. So some of the things that ruined Tennessee against Georgia aren't at play here. And then also, when Tennessee had its shots, they missed them. They were moving the ball at one point. They took the deep shot and Ringo intercepted it. They were moving the ball again later. The running back got hit and fumbled it. Turnovers, rain, crowd. Two of those things won't be there. And the other one Ohio State has to avoid. Nathan, I think Ohio State's offense has a real chance in this game. And it's going to be throwing it 70 to 75% of the time. And it's going to be on CJ Stroud and Ryan Day trying to outsmart Kirby Smart and Chris Smith. Nathan, what do you think? I, yeah, I made a long list of, of like things that OSU needs to do to be successful. And, and a lot of the things you've touched on fall into this. Um, because as, as we talked about kind of right up front, um, when you blitz CJ Stroud, there may be nobody in the country that's better equipped and is not, well, forget about equipped. He's like proven it. I don't know if there's anybody that's more proven passer against the, against the blitz against pass rushes than CJ Stroud is like, it's what he really thrives on. There's numbers out there that prove that. So if you can, I, I have can, the numbers, tell me when you want the numbers. Cause that's a big part ahead. of what I, what I looked Let's up think, as well yeah. on PFF. Throw them in there, yep. throw them in right yep. now. So again, we've had this discussion at times this year of like, is CJ good against the blitz or not? And we were kind of like, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's pretty he's good. Like I, I don't like, I don't know what, what you're talking about, why you think, he wouldn't be, and you can see quarterbacks who change. For instance, this year, Hooker, Hendon Hooker, according to PFF, when he's not blitzed, his offensive rating was 90.3. When he was blitzed, his offensive rating was 76.8. When he was not blitzed, his NFL QB rating was 126.8. When he was blitzed, his QB rating was 117.7. There are guys that you can see, like, it, it goes down. But CJ is the same or better. He is the same or better against Mm -hmm. the Blitz. So uh, when he is not blitzed, according to PFF, um, his QB rating is 112.8. When he is blitzed, his QB rating is 134.8. 
When he is not blitzed, his yards per attempt is 9.2. When he is blitzed, his yards per attempt is 9.8. When he's not blitzed, he's thrown 19 touchdowns and five picks. When he is blitzed, he's thrown 18 touchdowns and one pick. When he's not blitzed, he completes 65% of his passes. When he is blitzed, he completes 67% of his passes. Like, Steven, this is, again, I don't know where we people were telling us that, like, people were saying, oh, CJ Stroud has trouble with the blitz. And I think we doubted it. I had never seen these numbers before, but I finally found them. When I did find right. them, I was like, yes, like, this is, this is the real deal here. Yeah, I think people attribute, oh, he's not going to get some blitz because he doesn't run and take off and go get 40 yards. I, I can't remember exactly, but I think during the Heisman ceremony when they were showing all these interesting stats, they put up a stat of what, what C.J. Stroud is against a blitz, and I think it said he was the best in the country at what he does against the blitz, and it's because he diagnoses things before a play, and he knows how to replace a blitzer and where to go with the ball when the guy blitzes and he always knows where the blitz is coming from. And so I, I agree with this of what you're saying. I think C.J. Stroud might be the best. That type of quarterback might be best equipped to face a defense who, like, randomly likes to bring pressure from all over the place. And you took the number one thing on the board of what Ohio State needs to do. I literally wrote down C.J. Stroud should throw 50, touch, should throw 50 passes in this game. He's done it three other times. And it was in one of those times he did it because the running game just stunk and they were trying to play comeback. And that was against Oregon. The other times are Utah game and the Nebraska game. I mean, the Utah game, they just said, we're not running the ball. We're just going to throw it a million different ways. Or we're just going to throw it. I think Ryan Day should do the same thing today. I think they should run it enough for a healthy standpoint, just to you know keep Ryan involved. But 15 carries is enough. Throw the ball. Every way you can think of, just throw the ball. Nathan, you said you had a huge list. How how high on your list is the idea of like chuck it around? Do you think that's important or do you think they should strive for balance? It wasn't necessarily chuck it around. Um, it was more about just the execution overall. Like it to me, it's not how little they run it. It's that when they run it, they can't stack up empty runs. The, the, that's what's killed them at times this year. It's when they go through long stretches of like zero, one, zero, three, one, two, zero. And th- that's what that's when you're behind the chains. That's when there's now more pressure on your pass game. That's when you're you're throwing on the defense's terms at that point, and that's going to kill you against Georgia. And kind of to finish the conversation we were just having, all of those things are true. Yeah, all those stats that you just read off about CJ are true. The, the, the counterpunch to it is they probably are facing the one team that's best equipped to get after him without having to blitz like with, with Carter and what they have up front, like they can create four man pressure. So that was, that was kind of the way I was looking at that too. It's not so much, you've got to be able to throw a lot against Georgia's blitz. It's more, you can't allow the four man pressure. You can't allow what we've seen a lot of times against Georgia opponents, which is pockets collapsing. Now you've got hands in your face. Now you can't see where you're throwing. Now you're getting rid of the ball off a back foot and that can be a problem. But I, I, I'm very, again, going back to just, we've seen some running backs have a little bit of success against Georgia, but it, it's very few and far between. I think they've allowed like five touchdown runs all year. I think that's always like a very interesting stat when a team just, or maybe it's seven, maybe it's seven in 13 games. It's, it's very few. Um, when you're facing a team that just doesn't allow teams to get into the end zone on the ground at all, that that's a number to me. Uh, they're holding opponents under three yards of carry. So you can't, come in and just batter away at them. I saw like Kentucky's Chris Rodriguez had like one really good run where he kept his legs churning. It tells you that 
this team, Georgia's usually pretty sound tackling the ball. I think Mayan Williams, if he's healthy, can get some yardage. But it's more to me that you're just – you have to take everything that that defense gives you on the ground, which isn't going to be a lot, just to be ahead of the game and then go back to attacking with the pass. I just was – I was struck. I mean, we watched it in real time. But again, you you just look at it differently. I was struck by, Stephen, the formula of a quarterback who stays in the pocket, reads and rips it with two good receivers. Mm-hmm. How much that – I was like, well, that wouldn't that work against everybody? It's like, yeah, no. I mean, it would work against everybody. But also, it did also work against Georgia last year when that defense was – was one of the best we had seen in, in recent college football history. See, Bryce Young ripped him apart. And I just, again, the idea of Georgia has faced some really good players this year. I just do not think they have seen somebody who plays the position this year because they didn't see Bryce Young this year. They have not seen somebody who plays the position like C.J. Stroud plays the position. And just like all this stuff, all we've talked about all years, C.J.'s brain. It feels like it's building to this, Stephen. Like, this mm-hmm. is the game. Because, again, the other but- thing, as much they're going to get – Aiden Hutchinson with with edge pressure, Aiden Hutchinson can make your life miserable, right? Interior pressure, you're not going to get sacks from interior pressure. You're going to throw people off. So don't allow yourself to be thrown off. Get rid of the ball with a with a quick read and a receiver who who wins before he can get there. Slide, slide away from pressure, keep your eyes downfield and take those shots. Don't don't run. But I think, I think Stephen, I could like Aiden Hutchins. That's just a problem, man. Sometimes if the guy's just smoking your tackle and he's on you immediately, <laughs> there's nothing to do. You can see Jalen Carter coming, and he's does it. He's not going to sack you. He's going to mess you up. Stay on it. Bryce stayed on it last year. I think CJ has a chance to stay on it this year. And in no way, please, nobody take this as me belittling what Jalen Carter is. He might be the number one pick in the NFL draft. I know all that, but. When it's an interior guy, it's the difference between having a brand new first year starting quarterback and a veteran. Like if if Bryce Young had faced Georgia Week One, would he have been as ready to do what he did in the SEC championship game? Probably not. But it's the end of the year. He had twelve games under his belt. He knew what he was doing at that point. This is game like twenty four for CJ Stroud starting career. He knows what he's doing out there, and so that element of just stay calm. You know your footwork, slide to the side, buy a little bit of time, find the guy down field. It's easier to tell a second-year guy 20-plus games into his career as a starter to do that versus C.J. Stroud game two against Oregon to do something like that. And so that that's a very important element to that. But then also having wide receivers who win. Georgia last year, before they played Alabama, hadn't played a top 50 passing offense all year which means they hadn't faced an offense that could pass the ball, but more importantly, they hadn't faced receivers who could win. And then they f- faced John Metchie and Jamison Williams, and all of a sudden they didn't know what to do because they had that. It was a top 50 passing out offense who also had wide receivers who can win. Ohio State ha- is not the first top 15 passing offense Georgia's faced this year. They've actually played, faced three of them so far, four of them actually, no, three. Oregon, who was averaging 291.4 passing yards per game this season, they got held to 173. Tennessee was average, is averaging 332.3. They were held to 289. And Mississippi State, who was averaging 314.3 yards, they were held to 261. So that's a combined 312.7 yards per game in the air, held to 241 yards against Georgia. But Oregon doesn't have receivers who can win. 
Uh, Mississippi State doesn't have receivers who could win. Tennessee had receivers who could win. They just didn't. Courtney, uh, T- Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt didn't win. So if Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison can win, combined with veteran quarterback who likes to use his mind, combined with elite passing offense, Ohio State can move the ball on this defense. I'm not saying it's going to look perfect, but what I'm saying is Ohio State shouldn't be getting held under 300 passing yards the same way those other three teams did. If all those things combine and they happen on the same game. Now, I also, I don't think it's fair to set up a thing where it's like, oh, well, it's all on CJ Stroud. It's up to him. He's got to go win the game by himself. This is an excellent defense. This is an excellent defense. Kirby Smart is like a defensive genius and they have NFL guys all over the place. And unlike last year, they they have more NFL guys. Listen, Lewis seen last year is like a second round pick, great safety. But they have they have they have dudes like they they're going to be guys in this secondary who are going to be drafted very high. Um, but but I do think this is, I think I think Nathan, I think Kirby Smart knows this, and I think Ryan Day knows this, and I think that the interesting part of this is like the month to prep. What do you know? Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp and those guys defensively come up with? What do Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Brian Hartline and Tony Alford and Justin Fry and C.J. Stroud, what do they come up with in this game? But I do think as much skill and talent and athleticism as there is with the Ohio State offense and the Georgia defense, again, you just have to acknowledge a, a lot of Georgia's success is super talented dudes in a great system. And Kirby, I think, has also talked about back in the day at Bama, they'd have a lot of checks to everything. You know, if they do this, we do this. If they do this, we do this, whatever, whatever. They tried to slim that down a little bit in recent years at Georgia. Let their guys play. Kind of the thing that Ryan Day has talked about sometimes of maybe it's not the best matchup, but we'd rather let our guys operate with clean heads, clear minds, right, rather than trying to do 20 different things to check something at the line of scrimmage. I think Kirby Smart sees it the same way defensively. And then when it's like, well, you're never going to be in a terrible matchup because you've always got 11 guys on the field that you believe in. So having the talent allows you to not make it as complicated, but it's even it's not as complicated, Nathan, but it's still really smart. And all the things that we've talked about all year, like, oh, what is Jim Knowles doing? Jim Knowles is doing this and Jim Knowles is doing that. Great. It's like Kirby Smart's like, yeah, no, that's what, no, yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I've been doing that for 15 years. What are you talking about? It's just that Ohio State had been, you know, four-man front press man line up and will win with athletes defensively for several mm-hmm. years. And Kirby Smart's like, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to have this play where we don't have, like, any defensive linemen lined up on any of the guards or any of the, or the center. And, and they did this. Here's, here's another thing, Nathan, that I thought was huge and the commentators were talking about in the, in the Tennessee game. There was a look that, that Georgia gave Tennessee – where three down linemen and they had two linebackers up in the gaps between the guards, between the defensive tackles, right? Over the guards. Mm-hmm. And then on the snap, they dropped both linebackers and then they blitzed both guys, both slot guys. So they wind up with, with five guys coming, but it's not the five you think. They did the same exact blitz three times on the same drive and Tennessee never adjusted to it. They kept doing it because Tennessee didn't solve it. And, and you know, Georgia's good, Nathan. I don't think Ohio State would do that. I don't know that Ohio State would get beat by the same blitz look because Hooker, as talented as he is and as great of a year he had, he saw him coming and he held the ball and then he tried to escape and, like, it didn't work. And I think maybe you'd get CJ once on that, but I think on the second one, 
he'd get out. He'd get it out. He'd, he'd make an adjustment. He'd look at a receiver and give him a wink or whatever they do at the line of scrimmage, <laughs> make an adjustment to a guy who's going to be hot off that look. And I just thought, like, man, that's as smart as Georgia is. I don't know that you should allow yourself to get beaten by the same blitz package, the same blitz look, you know, three times in 10 plays. I thought that was instructive to me, Nathan. I don't want to make it sound like it's going to be easy because it's not. But I think if you went into this saying, like, I don't know, man, right? Georgia's great. I don't know. I came away thinking, like, huh, no, like, I, I can at least see a path for the Ohio State offense. A lot of what you're talking about is the aggressive nature of Georgia's defense. You know, they have a guy up front who just by his very existence is an aggressive threat to other teams. And then what do they do off of that? It's it's bringing that pressure, but bringing it in creative ways, bringing it in um, you know unexpected ways. Things that, like you said, Jim Knowles talks about it all the time. That's what he likes to do. And it's been a foundational thing here. Ryan Day started this whole process off. From, from the first Saturday after the Utah-USC game, one of the first things out of his mouth was, we have to be aggressive, we have to play loose, We, you know what I mean? And I think that this is where we're going to see whether that applies to him or not, whether he thinks that applied to him first and foremost. Is he going to come out and counterpunch in an aggressive way um, and, and do things that maybe George is not expecting? Because, I again, I think that trying to just line up and and do a conventional run game is not going to get you very far in this game. And I think that being methodical is not going to get you consistently far in this game. And it's where you you also don't want to get in a situation where you're settling for field goals um, at the end of drives the way they were against Michigan because you saw how that snowball starts rolling downhill pretty fast. I think this is a – as much as it's the C.J. Stroud game, it, it it's also – maybe shaping up a little bit to be the Ryan Day game where does is does he show some new parts of his football personality does does he reach somewhere that he hasn't been comfortable reaching before does he get out of his comfort zone a little bit and come at Georgia in an unexpected way and and show something new and that's not to say I'm not saying reinvent the wheel I'm not saying you come out and run the option whatever you know what I'm saying that it's it's within the structure they already have what's the wrinkle that catches them off guard the the version of the the Michigan trick play with the 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 running back throwing the pass the converted linebacker like those sort of things you know you talked about having like your Michigan play like what's going to be their Georgia play in a game like this I don't even I don't think it's even like a a fake punt or something that's going to only come up in a certain situation though I think it's got to be something that you plan for that is an attack that 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 finds as Jim Knowles has talked about every defense has its weakness find Georgia's weakness and throw something at them that they're not expecting. Yeah, I don't think it's a play. I think it's just an overall game plan and an approach. Uh, it's there's very these vibes are very Ryan Day versus Brent Venables. Except now this time, both of the guys are head coaches, and uh, Kirby Smart is a very aggressive defensive mind. Very whether it's at Alabama or now at Georgia as the guy in charge, he is a very aggressive defensive play caller. Ryan Day on these stages has proven to be an aggressive play caller. Whether he's always been that way in some of the games leading up to these stages, I mean, I don't think so. But on these stages, in the time I've been covering this, he has been aggressive on these stages. So some of this seems like it's going to come down to who's the more aggressive play caller between Kirby Smart and Ryan Day, who's the more aggressive mind, and which one pays off more often. When you're talking off it against 
I mean, this Ohio State's offense is his best asset. Georgia's best asset is their defense. Which side is going to be more aggressive and and throw more punches? And which side is going to be the guy taking more punches? By the way, just as a heads up to people, I think they're going to have to throw some bubble screens. So don't yell at the TV. You've got to stretch them horizontally. <laughs> You've got to stretch them horizontally. I, I don't think you want to try to do it running the ball. That's not my skill set. That's not that's not what's going to work for you. You've got to run a couple bubbles and then you've got to make a block on the edge and see if you can pop something a little bit. But you also, you know, some of that pays off just with the way you make them defend sideline to sideline and pay and defend um, from the line of scrimmage on back. So just prepare yourself. I think you have, like, that's part of the run game, right? You've got to do something. You can't, but you can't hand it off to Mayan Williams and say, Hey, go, go bounce this and see how it goes. Okay. So final word on this then, Steven, how would you describe this matchup, Ohio State offense versus Georgia defense, and like what kind of challenge or opportunity the Ohio State offense has here? I think it's intriguing. It's not so super hot fire as it would have been a year ago with Garrett, Jackson, and Chris, just because that's two, that's three first rounders for sure. Uh, while also, I think. The the front of Georgia, the front seven last year was just so much better that the, it allowed the secondary to maybe make a few more plays off of that. And it's kind of flipped this year where the secondary is better. But the, because the secondary is better, it's allowed some other guys in Georgia's front to get better to be to maybe make a little bit more plays because the quarterbacks have been holding on to the ball a little bit longer. But I do think it's intriguing. But I do think the one thing that is on my mind is Ohio State's discipline in terms of penalties in some of these bigger games. They can't get off schedule because all the stuff we're talking with CJ's mind and can Marvin and Emeka win at the line of scrimmage and can they handle Jalen Carter and all that stuff is cool. But Notre Dame, Penn State, Maryland, and Michigan, those have been the three games where we went into the fourth quarter where it was still competitive. And against Notre Dame, seven penalties for 75 yards. Against Penn State, eight penalties for 50 yards. Maryland, 11 penalties for 97 yards. Michigan, nine penalties for 91 yards. You can't do that against Georgia. And Tennessee also showed that off. They had nine penalties for 55 yards. They were constantly putting themselves behind the eight ball. If you're having mental mistakes, all this football talk we just spent an hour and a half doing doesn't matter because you're going to run into a lot of the same issues you ran into into those games where, yeah, Ryan Day wanted to get aggressive here, but it's first and 15. So you can't really be aggressive here. You got to get back on schedule. You can't spend half of the game fighting to get back on schedule because of false start penalties. And again, like some of the Tennessee false starts, again, eight pre-snap penalties of those nine. Some are yep. attributable to the to the crowd. Georgia shifts its defensive line right before the mm-hmm. snap a lot. And also you're nervous about Jalen Carter because you're afraid that he's going to throw you into the stands. So those two things, again, it's they've got it too. They've got brains and talent, right? They'll do a late shift that all of a sudden makes you flinch or they you just know Carter's coming and you're trying to get ready. So they force you into penalties sometimes. The kind of penalties that all of a sudden make it first and 15 or turn a second and three Tennessee, I think had a third down, like in the, within the five yard line and had like consecutive yeah. false starts that backed them up. And it was like, well, there goes that they were in the shadow of the goal line, like those kind of things. Some of it was the crowd, but some of it is Georgia's force and intelligence as a defense that is trying to make you react. And I think it's a very good point, Stephen. You, you've got to be disciplined in those situations because you can't make it any harder than it's already going to be. Nathan, what's your final sort of, theory of the case about this matchup what what the opportunity is for ohio state the opportunity here is to prove that you were the team that people thought you were all year and i think that applies on offense even more than it does on defense 
And as we already kind of mentioned, you know, a big game for CJ Stroud, a big game for Ryan Day in terms of correcting some deficiencies, correcting some legacy holes, I guess, at this point, however you want to say it at this stage of their careers. But it's it's a it's a big moment for this program because, you know, they didn't get to get on the field with it with a program like this last year. They lost their way out of that. Or I guess unless you want to put Michigan on that tier, which I guess you probably should as back to back playoff teams. So the two times they've been on the field against a team of this caliber the last two years, they got owned a little bit like they didn't. They were the lesser team kind of. Um, Obviously, um, you couldn't even get past Oregon last year. So like what where this is your opportunity to step up and prove that you do still belong on that tier. It can't just be a theory like you have to get on the field and, and prove it a little bit. And uh, I don't know that that means they necessarily have to win it to do that. But in order to win it, I think it has to happen on offense. Like this, this is going to have to be a team that where the offense leads again. Like it's interesting you mentioned penalties, Stephen, because Ryan Day kept bringing up penalties after the Michigan game. And if you take away the G Scott holding penalty combo there, th- there weren't a lot of offensive penalties in that game. It, the, the like one for seven defensive performance in the second mm-hmm. half wasn't about penalties. It was about this offense not executing. And uh, a similar run of like that on, on third down, a similar just lack of execution, a lack of efficiency is going to bury him against a team like this. They have to come out and really kind of uh, set the tone offensively and, and assert themselves. And whether that comes from that aggressiveness that Ryan Day was talking about, whether that comes from just executing better than they've been able to execute for a while because of injuries or missing guys, whatever, but some combination of that has to, has to be the one that at some point in this game puts Georgia back on its heels a little bit. When is my episode coming? You have to talk to him when we get down there. Tuesday. Not like that, though. I'm embarrassed. No, 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 no. We we have spent two and a half years listening to this. He has to know. He he might be the starting quarterback for back-to-back national championships. Championships, and I make him sound like Foghorn Leghorn. It's it's rude. It's not right. It's not right. I was wrong. I'm wrong to do it. But that episode will come on Tuesday. That's our plan. We'll do Georgia offense, Ohio State defense in a similar way. We just did this one. Listen, we're not football coaches. We're not trying to be something that we're not. But we just had a little more time to like rewatch games than you guys do because you, you have real jobs. So we hope that helped a little bit. I think Ohio State has a chance. Georgia's excellent. Don't take anything for granted. But I think there are some things about the matchup. Uh, frankly, though, I think I thought I thought it about Michigan, too. It didn't work out. I thought Ohio State. Okay, there's some things here that I think actually work in Ohio State's favor. So, you know, um, George is really good. George is really smart. George is really talented. And Ohio State has to play its best offensively to have a chance against that. You guys can go read stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. We'd always welcome you as a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. But mostly we thank you for making Buckeye Talk part of your week for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.